You'll know when you have a wild woman. She'll practice her craft without boundaries. She is truly autonomous. Her loyalty is only to the family she serves, a midwife who will not allow herself to be held back by a system she didn't create. This podcast is for the birth keepers who want to grow and change. We're open to learning through self-reflection and supportive community. We are creating this space to explore without judgment. We are remembering we were born wild. Hi, and welcome back to the Born Wild podcast. We're your hosts, Sophia, Emma, and Leah. And I'm the most peppy tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I got all my yayas out earlier doing TikTok dances with my daughter. There you go. So that's your update for the week. <laughs> Tell us. Oh, dude. That, okay. So when I was a kid, we'd have sleepovers and just like spend the whole night like choreographing a dance and then do it for our parents. And that was like the big reveal. And now this generation, my daughter's 11. It's like, no, you have to like learn somebody else's choreography, do it to a T. You can't like have your own thing. And then you have to show the entire world or else it didn't happen and so right. it's very I'm like oh this is yeah but it was actually really fun and it was a good bonding experience and we did this one reel on Instagram where you like change your outfit you have to change your outfit like so many times because it's just like one hit and it took like four hours I'm like I have so many things I need to do and I'm just spending my day like <laughs> changing outfits and doing this reel with you but she's gonna remember that for the rest of her life. So it was you know. amazing. <laughs> it was super it was good. So much. Like, I no, have I, whole yeah, no. Respect for people that do those because it's like a it's an investment of time to do a video like that. And I, <laughs> I guess we're doing doing it every day, right? Because then there goes your week. For sure, if you're getting paid. Yeah. But I got, it reminded like, me of doing the of um, my friends. the choreographed dance to like Janet Jackson, mm-hmm. where we do that at sleepovers, and it was like I don't know for the parents or yeah I don't know I feel old mm-hmm. when I talk about it because no no too it was uh, everything it was goes on the internet now Madonna, it's amazing though. ours was yeah. to Madonna mm-hmm. nice nice like a yeah. Wow. What's your update, Leah? So I, you know, I had this interesting week. I have a new mama, new client, and it's bringing up this idea of like everything is within normal range for her. It's on the edge, but it's within normal range. And the midwife that she was working with wasn't comfortable because it was on the like the higher end of normal and I can feel it in myself getting uncomfortable with it getting close and I think about you Sophia and the reminder of the range of normal it's like you know when you get close to 42 weeks we were already calling someone late when they're not late it's within normal you know so like just sitting in that space And really saying to ourselves, like, even though it's close and people get upset in the medical model, 
not actually outside of normal. So that's been interesting. That's been a lot of like this week's lesson for me is working with this new, this new family um, around that. And then I also covered for a friend who's a doula in the hospital, which I'll talk more about in a little bit. But um, yeah, it was a good week. Different, different thoughts coming up around normalcy and then um, the opposite of that in the hospital. Mm-hmm. When you said that, my first thought was to um, a past client of mine who measured small for dates all of a sudden. Um, mm-hmm. And off the top of my head at like 38 weeks, she was measuring 37 weeks. You know, she was always right on it. But at 39 weeks, all of a sudden she was measuring 32 weeks, um, which is, you know, a huge <laughs> shift. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it could be fluid. It could be baby dropped, you know, all these different things. Um, she had had a previous IUGR baby um so it was just a conversation that we talked about and all the things that could cause her to be measuring smaller um this week and then just encouraged her to like check in with herself and um see if she feels like everything's good or if she feels like something's off or if she wants to dig farther and see you know if there's anything going on with the baby, if she's feeling unsure and wants more information. Um, and she was like, oh, no, no, no. Everything's fine. This baby's got mm-hmm. a huge butt and this baby's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this baby's feet are huge. <laughs> and she did have huge feet. <laughs> um, but she was like, oh, my baby's fine. And her baby came, I don't know, like four days later or something like that. And, you know, just under seven pounds. Um, and waters broke in the pool right before the baby was born. So I don't know how much fluid there was, but, um, but yeah, just um, when I saw she was measuring 32 weeks, it took not my breath away, but just like, where is this going to go? You know, like, Mm -hmm. where is this going to go? And, um, and I was so grateful for her feeling so connected to her intuition to be so sure that her baby's okay you know and she had this beautiful Mm -hmm. um was this I feel like I know I was at this birth her baby was posterior right mm -hmm. and slid out like like no issue yeah so maybe that was part of the measurement she was in labor for like two days but early labor (laughs) yeah Um, Well, I didn't do my check-in, so I'll do my check-in real quick. Um, I just had a week of taking care of sick babies, basically. That was my week. Um, We had a very busy week before birthday parties, lots of birthday parties, and sugar and cake, and my son licked a couple bowling balls, and um, Mm. it was inevitable (laughs) that somebody was going to catch something, so... um, he started to not feel good and he had a little fever and then my daughter had a little fever and they all got the snotty noses and the coughs and and then like two nights in I was thinking oh god am I just worn from taking care of sick kids or am I starting to get sick and so I went to bed early and then I felt fine the next day 
but inevitably I got like a little sore throat and just feeling like really drained. And, um, so we just kind of canceled our whole week and just hung around at the house and took tons of everything, um, to get better. And we all feel great now. So it was kind of a blah week for me. Yeah. I'm glad uh, you're feeling better though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, it was like the perfect week, actually. It was easy to rearrange all the things I had to rearrange. So it was perfect. Destiny. Mm -hmm. What are we going to talk about today? I forget. Well, I know. I'm having quiet voice time. <laughs> So I, I mean, know we can't talk about it maybe, but I was listening to, I went for a hike today and I was listening to the free birth podcast and maybe, I don't know, we should space this out, but I guess having not done a hospital birth, should we pause Sophia so we can edit or how do you want to do it? Yeah, let's keep rolling. Okay. Um, yeah. I just haven't done a hospital birth for a while. Um, it's interesting because there's like, it seems like there's a correlation between, you know, being present at births and not actually touching any woman's vagina. Like, I feel like it's been a while, like that you and I haven't actually, no, I mean, like we don't do exams and we haven't really caught anyone's baby for a while. Right. Yeah. So as midwives, I just I, haven't I just laugh at you like it's been a while since I've touched a vagina right no but it yeah it seems like it's supposed to be this core part of being a midwife but honestly practicing the way that I really want to and the way that we do I just don't end up doing that mm -hmm. very much um, and then seeing the correlation between that and not transferring mm -hmm. you yeah. know um but so being at the hospital after not having been there for a long time and just observing someone who had this, you know, birth plan of wanting to essentially not be at the hospital, but give birth there. Yeah. Um, and, and be in a place where all of the options that are there, um, they are not interested in. Mm -hmm. And why you would go to a place where you don't want any of the things that they offer and you have to work hard to decline all of them. Mm -hmm. And then, but you wanna be there just in case, but the things that are there, what causes the scenario where you need mm -hmm. the just yeah. in case care. When you realize they don't really need a doula, they need a lawyer is what they're looking <laughs> for. <laughs> Well, yeah. it's just, yeah, I mean, it's like this, and it's the same thing at home where, you know, and I, I found that this really is getting less and less, but clients that I've had where they really want a hospital birth at home, like they want to have the same type of care and interventions and the just in case card and all of that, but they want it at home. And it's like, it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was doing doula work, I would ask them because you, you, you want to know what they do and don't want. And they start telling you their plan. 
and you're thinking in your head, wait, why aren't you doing this at all? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. don't, just don't touch me. Don't touch the baby. Don't, you know? And it's like, okay, wait, what do you want from them? And they're like, I want them to be there just for emergencies. And I think the, the feeling people have is that what if there's not enough time to get there? You know, like if you're at home, like what if there's not enough time? And really like, if you think back, we have the last few emergencies or transfers or anything like that, that we've had to do, like even the baby that ended up needing a blood transfusion, like there was time, you know, that mm-hmm. baby, do you know what baby I'm talking about that needed blood, no. uh, placental abruption? Oh, I didn't know she needed a transfusion. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we still had plenty of time and the baby was still fine and we were breathing yeah. baby. Yeah. And it was just clear that when we stopped breathing for the baby, the baby was, you know, not doing okay. And so yeah. we feed and then she yeah. down. but we're like, okay, we can't do this forever. We got to go in, you know, obviously she yeah. needs something else. And it took them a little while to even figure out, you know, until her labs came back and they were like, she needs blood. Um, so, and mm-hmm. then everything mm-hmm. turned around for her, but, um, but so a lot of the times too, the emergencies, even there's time, there's time to have conversation. There's time to talk about it, you know, explain things. Um, one of my pet peeves too, in emergencies, wherever you're at, but especially at home is when midwives start yelling at the mom when there's an emergency, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it almost feels like she's in their way and it bugs me so much. Like, why can't you Like just... the mom is in the midwife's way? Yeah. Thinking specifically about like some shoulder distortions I've been to, um, and how mm-hmm. midwives are even seeing videos online where the midwives start barking orders at the mom, you know, instead of being like, you know, I think your baby's a little stuck. And if you move your leg this way, you know, like this feeling of working together, they start going like, I need you on your hands and knees. You need to push now. And, you know, and it's just like, Oh my God, how is that? Like, like I can just imagine all the adrenaline and the tension and mm-hmm. like how does that mm-hmm. facilitate getting this baby out, you know? And it, right. like, well, it, it immediately pulls you out of the labor zone. Yeah. Like it just floods you with adrenaline. Like you said, yeah, you know, and freezes up your body. Yeah. And it makes it feel like as an outsider, when I'm watching this either in person or on video, it makes it feel like this midwife is trying to save the baby and the mom's not cooperating is how it feels mm-hmm. when you start mm-hmm. yelling at her, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. come on, you don't need to scare her into doing this. You don't need to be like, and it's obviously the midwife's fear coming out mm-hmm. is how I take it. Totally. Um, you were a doula, Emma, right? Before you were a student? Yeah. Or no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long, how long were yeah. you a doula? Five years. Five years. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, yeah. yeah, I was working for a doula agency. Um, yeah. So I would basically, she would give me the mission and I'd go out on, it felt very like the whole agency thing was very interesting because my clients weren't picking me. They were just, I was just the one that would show up and meet with them. Mm. So it was, it was very interesting. There was a lot of people I'm like, oh, you probably would not have chose me. But, mm. and some really great relationships that I still have. Mm-hmm. And you, have you ever been present for a yeah. dyslexia? 
No, not in the hospital. Um, at home? I, when I was, yeah, I've seen a dystocia at home, but not at the hospital. Um, and I mean, maybe I had, and I just didn't know what I was seeing. You know, I've seen some pretty violent births at the hospital with forceps and things. And so that might've been them trying to deal with the dystocia. And I just didn't know that, that was what was going on. Mm-hmm. It'll be very interesting going back as a doula, knowing what I know now. I feel like it's, it's almost kind of like I've seen, I don't think I could go back. I don't know. I have a mm-hmm. doula client who's having a hospital birth and she's like, yeah, I just want all the things. But um, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can be the doula that, that I used to be where I was just kind of letting things roll off. Um, you know too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the, de- yeah. the definition in the hospital of a dystocia, like when they chart it, is doing a maneuver. So whether or mm-hmm. not it's necessary, if they do McRoberts, if they, you know, anything corkscrew, any type of or super pubic pressure, anything that they do, whether or not it's needed, that categorizes it as a dystocia, which goes in their, mm-hmm. you know, patient's chart. And then forever, you know, Sophia, we, you know, the client that you had that had had that history in their chart, they're a dystocia and they're high risk. And they should have a C-section wow. the next, next time and, you know, all of that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so frustrating because I feel like in the hospital, people get labeled dystocia, but the situation is created where they have to do maneuvers with the epidural mm-hmm. and positioning. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Sophia, have we done a dystocia together? Like a... Because I've done them and I feel like you've done them, but I don't know if we've had one together. Not together. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The dystocia that I saw, we had the mo- the mama go into a running start, and we were it was like easily handled. But I'm like, you know, God, being on your back like with an epidural, yeah, Mick Roberts, but like, whoa, like, how do you? That just seems so intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more dangerous, you know, if the mama mm-hmm. can't move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> the mom who came to me and she had um, been told she had a dystocia with her first and was trying to figure out if, you know, home birth was right for her. That was one of the things that we talked about was how, um, you know, she had been induced and she was laying on her back and that none of those situations would happen at home um so even if she had an amazing birth and wanted it to happen exactly the same way it's not possible um because it's going to be different because she's going to have mobility and we're not gonna you know force the baby out and what i can't remember how long her labor was like four hours or something um Mm -hmm. And yeah, they were getting ready, you know, with the second they were wanting to sign her up for her C-section and, um, and her baby was three pounds less than the first one. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and came out super, super smooth, super straightforward. Um, so just mm-hmm. like sad to think that she could have had that taken from her. If she had 
played into their fear, you know, instead of trusting yourself. Cause she did wobble mm-hmm. or like her, you know, faith in herself uh, wavered a couple times every time she'd go in and talk to somebody, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other topic that we've been wanting to do about um, hospital systems and providers uh, feeling like bullies. Mm-hmm. And I say hospitals just because I think it's more common that if I'm working with someone that they might also have a hospital provider they're working with. Um, though I'm sure people could say the same about some home birth midwives or birth center midwives, you know, it's not just hospitals, but, um, but yeah, when your provider feels like they know better than you, I think that that's a bully Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not, it, it can't be true. You and I had this conversation, Sophia, I think it was actually driving to Emma's house. Um, and I, and I, because it, it's actually one of my newer clients, a conversation that I had is this idea that in the past when, you know, when mamas had concurrent care, right, especially transferred um, from, you know, a classic OB or just practice that was hospital-based, um, <clears throat> that they would continue to do care with that provider as well as us, because why not, you know? And it's one thing when their insurance only will cut like Kaiser, you know, where it will only cover Kaiser labs and ultrasounds, but, you know, outside of that, just continuing to see their provider and this whole thing of like, oh, they don't know I'm having a home birth yet. And how do I tell them? And um, coming to a place where I'm sort of like, okay, you're choosing to want midwifery care and to not want the interventions and the mentality of the traditional OB system. But if you're going to continue to see them, even in addition to seeing me, that's what you're going to get. You know, so if like the goal is to not be in a place of fear based on the emergency mentality of OBs, if you keep going to see them, even if it's like, again, concurrent with my care, that's what you're going to get, you know? Um, So having this conversation with someone and, you know, it's really important to me, choice regardless of care is super important. So I wouldn't say to a woman personally, like, oh, I won't work with you but I just explained it that way, you know, like, why would you continue to be in a system that's going to make you stressed out and is going to find whatever could be wrong. And again, returning to that thing of you're in the range of normal, but you could be getting close to outside of it. So we're going to produce all this fear in you. Why would you want to continue to do that? And she stopped, you know, and again, it's, you know, it's not about saying you can't do this because then you're just reflecting what the other side is doing, you know, but actually having a communication with someone that's very straightforward and, you know, pointing things out. And then they realize they're like, oh, okay. Actually, yeah. Why would I, you know, I hire a midwife and then continue to get this medicalized care that I'm not wanting. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was a little bit of a rant. Yeah, I know. Yeah, feels just a newer part of my practice where I feel more strongly about that. Like, why am I setting up this care when 
someone's going to go in and still get that fear-based um, feedback that I just have to, you know, we have to process mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I see it time and again too, even, even if they are supportive upfront, the farther along she gets, the less, mm-hmm. you know, I had a client who she was, you know, very straightforward with the people that she was seeing. And they were like, yes, we won't. She was like, I don't even want to talk about induction until 42 weeks, you know, like, just don't even bring it up. I know all the options, you know, and they were like, yep, no problem. No problem at all. Totally fine. And then she went in like the day after her due date and they're like, okay, we got you a bed over at labor and delivery. She went in for a non-stress test. Mm-hmm. Um, and she yeah. had, this was like her third non-stress test or something. She had gone in a few times. Um, and she was like, is everything okay with the non-stress test? They're like, yeah, everything yeah. looks great. Yeah. And we've got you a bed ready for your induction. And she's like, uh, absolutely not. And she called me after and was like, I just did so much work in therapy. And yesterday I felt incredible and like, so ready for this and now I feel like I'm wavering again you know and yeah and I wasn't like that until I you know went in there um and now she's starting to feel like do I need to do something should I encourage the baby to come when the day before she was not feeling that way and she had her baby the next day um so at home and it was beautiful and it was fine but um but yeah I just see it time and again that eventually if you don't have your baby soon enough for them, they will turn on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, taking away your agency. Yeah, and yeah. scaring you. I mean, we all saw it um, with that one family who decided to have a home birth at the last minute and went in just to let their care provider know their plan. And, oh, yeah. and were sent by ambulance to the hospital for um, you know, strange heart tones. They weren't even sure what they, what they were seeing. And by the time the dad got there, they were prepping her for surgery and he put a stop to it. was like, have you even listened to the baby? No, they hadn't. So they listened to the baby for two hours and sent her home. But there was just like so much fear around all that, that they decided not to have a home birth. Um, when in my head, I was thinking, well, everything felt fine until you went in, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, everyone has their own journey. Um, right. but yeah, you just, and this was with a hospital midwife who has had home births and I thought was really supportive. I even told her, Oh, you could totally tell her she's super supportive, but she is clearly not supportive of the back at home. Um, because yeah, she- I mean, it just takes like, the tiniest little ounce of fear on the client's part or like just being unsure because they've never had a home birth or they've never had a baby to just kind of tilt that be more um in that system and that's why we see so many more multi uh, mamas have wanting to have a home birth because of, to heal from the experience that they didn't even want to have with their first baby exactly yeah Leah actually has a fair number of first time mamas. When we do our statistics, mm-hmm. she's got mm-hmm. a lot of first time families. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say I'm finding more and more 
with my practice, which feels awesome. Um, but it's, you know, I feel like it's definitely been a process that has had scary moments, but um, just remembering ways that I used to feel like I was beating the system, you know, like we were talking about induction and having clients who would go in for NSTs and just, you know, taking this breath and assuming that they were going to go in and get pressured for induction. You know, and this is like 40 weeks and two days or something. Everything seems great, but they're like, oh, we have a bed already made for you. You know, like we're ready for you. And I would tell people, okay, if you're there, decline, but schedule an induction date. Like just let them schedule one. They'll get off your back. You don't have to go in, you know, but just schedule one. And after a number of years, I just feel in this place, like in my integrity, why do we have to lie? You know, or why do we have to feed into their system? Like just say no and walk away. And it's hard, you know, because in some ways, like we want the reassurance of the non-stress test, but then we have to placate them and be, you know, and say to them, we'll be part of their system, even though we don't have the intention to. Because uh-huh. unless you need help at the hospital, walking in is dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I experienced that firsthand. I think I told the story, but I was a student midwife, felt very educated, had two midwives with me, and I ended up in a cesarean that almost killed my baby. And mm-hmm. I didn't need it. I needed it at the time, but being in the hospital is what caused the issues in the first place. Mm. So it's not as simple as like, I don't see it anymore as simple as like, oh, just go in and say X, Y, Z to get them off your back. You know, it's like, now I want to be like, go in at your own risk. You know, it could make or break, mm-hmm. they can change mm-hmm. your mindset. They can, you know, encourage you to do something physically, like, you know, just sweep your membranes and now your water's broken and, you know, you just don't know. Um, and I am grateful for the hospital system. Both my babies needed the hospital system, but it's really dangerous to go in if you don't need it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and it's almost just like having the, cause some people home birth is not what they want. It's not their choice and that's fine. You know, I, I do, like I said, really strongly believe in choice, um, but to go in A, thinking that you're gonna have a birth that's like a home birth or transferring from a home birth because you think, okay, I can continue what's happening, but you know, have this little bit of intervention. It's like, no, you walk in and you have a different birth. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you need that. We all know that you know, medical intervention can be life-saving, but most of the time it's you're entering a different world, you know, and just keeping that in mind and being honest with women as midwives, that that's what that entails. And I feel like Sophia, you and I have been at birth where hardly ever people, you know, want to transfer for pain management. Like I can't actually remember the last time somebody purely for pain management wanted to transfer. Um, But when we've had other instances as soon as we explain to them the process of going, and this is not emergent situations, which is 99.9%. But we, yeah, when we explain like, this is the process of going and this is how your birth will change, they change their mind, you know? 
And we're not trying to talk them out of it so much as we're giving them the reality of the situation. Well, most of the time too, when they're asking, like when I have a woman who's, you know, asking for an epidural or to go in, which I actually can't even picture that happening. I don't think anyone said that to me, but, um, but I usually just hear this is really hard and she needs validation or what we're doing isn't working anymore. We need to mix mm-hmm. them up, you know? Um, I, I, I think it's only happened once I was a student midwife and the mom didn't even want home birth in the first place. It was the dad who wanted it. I think mm-hmm. it was one home. I'm trying to remember, but he was super into it and she was thinking, okay, well, as long as if I do want to go in, I can still choose to go in. And we were like, yeah, of course, you know, you could totally go in. And so it was like, you know, obvious that she just, it wasn't for her, it was for him, you know? And so we went in, um, which of course we were going to go in. Um, So that was, that's the only time that I've ever seen that happen. Um, Mm -hmm. The request for like pain medication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure that I'm sure I've had it happen. It just feels like a long time ago or very rare. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I don't think that labor is unmanageable. I think it's unmanageable in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of the time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, and the thing that really irks me is the whole. Um, your baby will die card Um, that they Mm -hmm. like literally it's not even like metaphorically where they beat around the bush you know that the mama who was in for the non-stress test and they were like we have a bed ready for you and she was saying Mm -hmm. oh but I'm you know having a home birth and we decided we weren't going to talk about induction until 42 weeks and they actually said you know we can't guarantee that your baby won't die before you know you go into labor and she's like that's so but that's what I'm coming in for the non-stress test right like right that, and they can't say that regardless yeah and right and they and like it looked fine and everything <laughs> and of course we know the non-stress test can't save your baby from dying like nothing can mm-hmm. you know um you can do all the things and something could still happen um but yeah she was just like right did you have, did they actually say that to me? Oh, I was so floored. <laughs> yeah. I think what I've always found interesting is um, going in for non-stress tests and having one, having both of them be exactly the same, like heart rate, great, AFI, totally fine. And having one provider tell you that like, you know, the increased risk of stillbirth and all of this stuff and like all of this fear um, instilled and this idea of like walk through the gates to this, you know, hospital room with an induction and you'll be fine. And then also having essentially the same outcome as far as like what the test results saying and having a doctor say like, yeah, go home and have a wonderful home birth. Yeah. It's less common, right? The second thing, but I've totally had it happen. And so, you know, it's the same thing where I've transferred for, you know, a heart rate that's not, not terrible, but felt not reassuring. And we talked with the mom and she wanted to go in and we get there and it's like, 
20 minutes before the heart rate monitor goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just so interesting how the emergency turns into like not an emergency. Yeah, we'll get you there. know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting to how one family could have this whoa, whirlwind, like a cascade of intervention with their first and take that and, and say to themselves, thank God I was in the hospital, you know, mm-hmm. me or my baby could have died or whatever. And then a, another family could have, you know, a very similar experience and take that and recognize that this happened because I was in the hospital, you know, like yeah. white night coming in to save the day when they actually caused the issue in the first place. Um, right. Yeah. It's always, um, interesting to see who lands where mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah I know <laughs> that's why I don't know if I can continue to be a doula because it's really difficult for me to sit with people that are you know trying to remove my thing out of it but just like looking at the bigger picture and they are so thankful that they were there and I know that that's why those things happened. And so it's, it's yeah, challenging to not um, put my, my thing on it when they're really happy with their birth and happy that they were there. Yeah. So Emma, when you think about in the future, having your own practice or working with a group, whatever it is, but being, being a, you know, a practicing midwife, how do you feel about um, doing concurrent care, about working with someone that also sees an OB or even a nurse midwife? I mean, I know that you're, whatever, you're still learning and figuring all of it out, but right now with the experience that you've had, what are your thoughts on that? Or what do you feel like you would want to do as a midwife? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, it depends on where I'm living. Like I live in a really rural area where if they are doing concurrent care, like we know the OBs really well and we work really well together. I think that's a huge part of it. If you have rapport with the people that you're working with versus not knowing them or, or if they're more uh, against home birth, like that can really make a difference. Um, and it's like really not up to me, right? Like if they want to do that, they're doing that. And you either have them continue care with you or not, right? Right. I I <laughs> it's my new rule. Because mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I'm, so. like, I'm like, you have one foot out the door. You might as well just keep For walking. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So like, I mean, like as of like three weeks ago, I've decided that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, I think you've and... also like built up your practice enough to be able to make that choice. I think as a starting midwife, mm-hmm. fresh and green and looking for clients, I would be like, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it's the reason doula clients. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like sure. you got to take it where you can get it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it would make our, you know, the the job, like we were saying about having to process things that you've already processed because they're coming back up and everything that they're saying, they're asking you about and like, what do you think about that? And then 
you don't want to like give your own opinion, but you want to like give them, you know, informed choice. And um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not ideal, (laughs) but I don't know. I think there's a way in the beginning where you kind of take everything at least I did mm-hmm. doula work, Montrese work, collaborative care, you know, all those kinds of things. So that way you can learn from your experiences and kind of weed out what isn't working for you. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. 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 And it gets your name out into the world and then you can kind of funnel yourself into what your ideal client is over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to, are we allowed to just like talk about like public figures on the pod? I mean, I guess she's a public, yeah, she is in our world. Um, do it. Okay. I was just, we'll find out. um, We'll find out. I was so, um, impressed or just inspired by watching Maren Green have her like, she had to, I think she planned that she needed to go to the hospital with one of her babies and she just like completely took her power in that experience and like the nurses were just like standing there like watching her kind of in awe like she just like owned the space and it was so freaking badass to see like damn that's awesome I think she had to transport but yeah that was very interesting to watch just like somebody really a midwife like in the in the hospital setting like just calling the shots it's very cool Mm -hmm. right and that goes back to choice in the sense of like if you're home and you feel intuitively or whatever's going on like okay I want the interventions that the hospital has to offer like rock it take it you Mm -hmm. know I think it's going in I think I know the birth you're talking about Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know but going in thinking that you're going to get something else um Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, Sophia, I feel like you and I have had this um, difference in our client group and just conversation before about working with people who, I wouldn't say so much that I no longer will work with people that will do concurrent care, but that by the point that we're really in a flow, they understand and they don't want to. Yeah, I think maybe because I've worked with more people in the city or people that are a little bit more um, mainstream or like new to the concept, it's like the, it, it takes them a little while. Like it's a leap for them to even consider using a midwife. It's a leap for them to consider doing a home birth and they get there, you know, the more information and empowerment and all of that that they have, but they have to start somewhere you know, um, so that transition into, I don't know, just understanding, you know, um, the difference between that and just saying, like, I won't work with someone that does concurrent care. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's As, where I'm at. <laughs> totally. No. And that's, you know, there have been multiple topics where you're just like, yeah, no. No, and not. I love you for that, <laughs> Sophia. I love you for no, that. No, totally. You're so like in your just like boundaries, which is great. I'm I think starting out, I'm like 
you know, going to be the midwife that just meets you where you're at. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And I think we all start there, you know, and then, cause everybody mm -hmm. has their own boundaries. Like some people might feel like, you know, collaborative care is exactly what they want and they actually prefer it and it makes them feel safer as a midwife and you know all these things and it makes me feel mm -hmm. the opposite you know and yeah um so yeah I think we figure out where our boundaries are and if it's a hard stop or if it's like well I it's not my preference but it's fine you know um mm -hmm. yeah it also just feels like I want to feel secure as the practitioner and it feels like they're going to get like other information and then like I'm having to like prove myself or like my skill. Does that even make sense? Like, mm -hmm. totally. I, like that just feels like that would give me a little bit of anxiety if they're going to their provider and then coming back and like not so sure themselves. Like you just have to be really sure and clear as a practitioner, which I mean, once I'm licensed, I hope that I will be, but it just, I don't like that feeling of like having to prove yourself like over and over again. Yeah. And I think the whole point of my care is to keep giving her power back to her. Um, mm -hmm. Even in the sense that, you know, she's, um, you know, that I'm not telling her how something should be. Um, mm -hmm. And so just to send her to someone else who for sure is doing that um, mm -hmm. feels uh, not really helpful. <laughs> or like you're, yeah, or like you're just having to talk them into it, like having the home birth. I don't know. Or just like, that. Yeah, no, that's continue, never going to work out. <laughs> or just no. they're continuously going outside themselves for reassurance when mm -hmm. the whole point I'm trying to do is to keep sending her inward. But then mm -hmm. when she leaves my appointment, she keeps turning to somebody else going, am I okay? Is my baby okay? You know, kind for of thing. Sure. For that yeah. um, because I think the whole prenatal point for me is tuning her into her intuition so she can look at me and say, something's not right. And like, that's what mm -hmm. I'm coming on, you know, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. she knows. Yeah. It's like that, yeah. that genuine trust. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. For sure. This is why building trust and solid prenatal care is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this was a good topic. I like what <laughs> we don't pick ahead of time and we just kind of see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> definitely I know I'm like it's all it's all coming into my brain cool. um well, yeah cool. well yeah. it might be time to check out but all I will say is that this is sort of where it goes back to there's a midwife for every mm -hmm. family and mm -hmm. you know I think that there are some families that needs some time to come to that space of like, you know, I don't, I don't need this reassurance. And, you know, I feel like for me, it's what happens is that, like you said, Sophia, they're supportive, everything's good until like what, 36 weeks, 
or so when it started to get close to birth and then you know the, the medical model really takes over regardless of what their provider is said so for me my new sort of line is like that space you know um and I know for you it's like regardless yeah so it's, you know, it's again, one of those things where I feel like we have a similar belief about it, but um, yeah, just different people needing different things. And I love Emma that you're in a space where you're just learning and you don't know yet, mm-hmm. you know? Because <laughs> I think it takes all I'm like, I'll just, I'll meet you where you're at, I'll take anyone. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's right. But it takes all experiences to like fine tune who you are, you know? Mm-hmm. totally yeah because I have like all these stories now of when I got screwed <laughs> because of some other care mm-hmm. provider and it's like that's what shaped this like fire inside me you know if I didn't have mm-hmm. those experiences I'd be like oh it's been fine yeah you can go ahead and see somebody else we'll just do you know collaborative care no big deal but like these stories that I have are is what is shaping the boundary you know and mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. wouldn't have that boundary because you don't have those stories yet you know, hopefully not yet, but, you know, we'll just see what your experiences are and how they, how they twist and turn you. Mm, Yeah, I know. I love that. It's beautiful. Can't wait. (laughs) Cool. We should wrap it up. Um, It was great seeing you ladies. We had to schedule last week because my household was sick. So we're recording on Zoom. We hope the sound quality isn't too crazy. Um, I feel like so much has happened since I've seen you guys. It's been a long mm-hmm. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a week and a half is a long time in the birth world. It is. <laughs> and Leah's a whole nother year older. Happy birthday. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yes. Happy birthday, Leah. Thank you. Mm. Um, I'm going to go have some pizza. Enjoy. Okay. Enjoy. With some other things that are happening. <laughs> I saw that background on the podcast. Um, yeah, should we, we get it. close up with anything else? <laughs> Final thoughts are uh, surround yourself with people who believe in you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Both feet inside. Nothing out the door. Love you guys. Yeah. All right. Love, Love you guys. You. Bye. Bye. Thanks everybody for listening. You can find us at Born Wild Podcast on Instagram. For inquiries or feedback, you can email us at bornwildpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me, Emma Ray, on Instagram at Emma Ray, R-E-A. Sophia at sophiabirth.com. And me, Leah, at Bay Area Home Births. We would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach more people. And as always, stay stay wild. wild.